Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. This is called, Heaven is Not a Finish Line. Mm -hmm. Alright, so question, start off. What is the Spirit of God doing in your life? Or, maybe another question, what does the Spirit of God want to do in your life? And should he be doing or wanting to do particular things in your life, how are you going to respond to it? What would you do? And how would you discern what it is that he's doing? And if you're not aware, fret not, because growing in awareness of what the Spirit of God is doing in your life is one of the greatest steps towards Christian maturity that we can take. So, we learned something here in Galatians 5, and we're going to finish up chapter 5 today uh, and find out what Paul has to say about the Spirit of God being at work uh, in the lives of believers, specifically in the life of this church. Now, you recall that this church was kind of having problems. They were kind of shying away from this truth that, they origi that originally saved them, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And then Judaizers started coming in, leading them astray, saying, listen, in addition to Jesus, you need to keep dietary rights, you need to circumcise yourself, you need to do things in addition to the righteousness of Jesus to make yourself holy and perfect before God. Right? So what was begun in the Spirit, meaning their salvation, they were trying to perfect in the flesh. And Paul's kind of calling them out on it. But as you'll see as we read this part, Paul doesn't just correct to be correct, right? He doesn't just correct so that he could have the final word and that he could be right. He could prove to these Galatians that they're wrong. He corrects them so that he can restore them. And as we read the end of Galatians 5, we're going to find out what Paul says the Spirit desires for their life. And why is he calling the Galatians fools? And why is he saying someone bewitched you? He's saying all these things to break through this callous that's maybe built up on their hearts so that he could speak to their hearts and show them what the Spirit of God really wants to do with the soft heart. So let's read and we'll discuss. <clears throat> Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is like conflict, Strife, which is also like conflict, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All right, pretty exhaustive list of what the flesh looks like if it is to rule your life. But as we read on, we'll find out these are not the only things that Paul mentions are results of the flesh. There is a three things at the end that he's going to mention that are a little more subtle and more under the radar, but they are still works of the flesh, all right? Um, so Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. So here's the but. 
in light of all that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So by walking in the fruits of the Spirit, there's no longer any law against those things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us not walk. Uh, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then he says this in verse 26, and I want to point this out. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So he says this whole list before that he lists out, these are, these are pretty obvious manifestations of the flesh in people's lives. Like people just living this kind of sinful, outright, blatant lifestyle, all right? And then he contrasts that with the fruits of the Spirit. And then he says, so walk by the Spirit, but don't do this. He says, don't be conceited, don't provoke one another, and don't envy one another. And these things, these three things, are in opposition to the Spirit. And things in opposition to the Spirit are works of the flesh. So there's actually two lists going on here that he mentions that are works of the flesh. Kind of the blatant outright stuff, and the really subtle under the radar stuff which is maybe easier to creep in. And we might be sometimes so busy pointing a finger at the outright stuff that we might be completely guilty of the subtle things. Right? So he, Paul is contrasting works of the flesh with fruit of the Spirit. So we've got works and fruit, and these are in contrast. Right? Something of the Spirit doesn't mix with the flesh. And they are in opposition to one another. So the question is, how are we going to get or transition from the works of the flesh to the fruits of the Spirit? How do we go from one to the other? Because what I'm assuming is that we all want to be walking in the Spirit and bearing fruits of the Spirit. And maybe sometimes we just need to learn how, right? So works. Let me just dive into for a second works. What are works like? Well, works are things contrived of the flesh. Um, so we'd say like maybe first it just looks like making a plan, right? And that doesn't sound like planning is good. Proverbs talks about planning and planning is a result of wisdom. However, if we see what's going on in our lives and in order to overcome it, any kind of badness, if we're trying to overcome any sin in our lives and we start making this plan about how we're going to try harder, do more, start on Monday, and this is the ABC list of what I'm going to do, we have to ask ourselves, like, is that just me trying harder in my flesh, right? Like, if somebody comes to me for pastoral counsel or wisdom and I'm, like, speaking into their life, right, I might start directing them and showing them Jesus, but if maybe I start sitting down and saying, like, boom, let's write up this whole plan. This is how you're going to start on Monday. Like, that could maybe help in a way, but if I don't show them Jesus, 
then all they will have done is maybe improve their circumstances a little bit, but still be lacking Jesus in their life. Does that make sense? So some works of the flesh might look a lot like a New Year's resolution. You know how it's like 2014 is coming around. Got to make my New Year's resolution. And every year, everybody makes some of the same resolutions and they have the same results. You know they say that like gym memberships raise immensely during the month of January and February. And then all of a sudden after those four to six weeks go by of that initial push of like, I just got to try harder, do more and be tougher. After that goes away, then the gym memberships drop off. In fact, some of the tried and true veterans of the gym, what we call the gym rats, they will leave the gym during January and February and they'll maybe go figure some other way to work out. Work out in the garage, do a bunch of push-ups, do a bunch of running and stuff because they don't want to be around in January and February when these people who never work out their whole life show up for a month, month and a half and start using the weights inappropriately and, and like... Uh, occupying the machines and you have to wait and, but all you have to do tried and true principle you just wait four months to six weeks and all these people go away and is that maybe how sometimes the flesh looks all these super good intentions about how we're going to do what we're going to do it how this year is going to be different than last year I'm finally going to do this weight uh, lose this weight or, or get this muscle or make people happy or, you know, make my teeth straight, whatever it is, get my life together. It's going to be this year and this year is going to be different than last year. And you know why? Because I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to work at it. And nobody is going to tell me what. And then four weeks later, you're like, I don't want to get up at six in the morning. Right? Sometimes flesh looks like a New Year's resolution. Or just try harder. Do you know what I mean? Try harder. Like, life's not going well. What do I need to do? Try harder. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. What is amiss in my life right now? The fact that I'm not trying hard enough. And it's true. I can always try harder. I can always do more. How do I be successful at this? Well, all I got to do is make everybody happy. And to make everybody happy, all I got to do is wake up earlier, go to bed later, work harder, stay, uh, you know, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Try harder at life. Pull myself up. I'm, have more grit and bear it and, and just continually apply discipline to my life. Now, don't get me wrong. All of these things, having a good work ethic, uh, and good discipline like these things are good in your life however what we're going to learn is doing those things as a work of the flesh are maybe not as beneficial as we would like to think so maybe we numb ourselves to the fact that we're walking in the flesh by the fact that we earn small amounts of success and that success will be enough to satisfy us and keep us in a forgetful state about the fact that we're not walking in the spirit. Or it could look like a, a list of do's and don'ts walking by the flesh, right? It could look like a list of you got to do this, 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 or you got to not do that, that, that. Don't watch this movie. Don't wear those clothes. Don't let your shorts be this long. Don't say these words. Don't do these things. Don't talk to people like that. A list of do's and don'ts, right? However, although there is a certain way in which Christians do conduct themselves, it is not 
a list of do's and don'ts that creates Christian character. Because that is contrived of the flesh. Right? It is walking by the Spirit. And it said, Paul says, in walking by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And there is no law against the fruits of the Spirit. Right? So walking by the Spirit, it will look a certain way in your life. It will look like a good Christ-like life. However, if it becomes a list of do's and don'ts, then it could be a work of the flesh. Because then we start living this particular way. We start being really happy about how we're, we're keeping all this list of rules. And then we start like peer pressuring that list onto other people. Right? And then all of a sudden Christianity becomes like this scorecard. Right? Could you imagine like a scorecard or like a high score list? Uh, like, like you see in your favorite game that you play on your phone or online or whatever. Right? What if it's like you could earn points for doing good stuff and lose points for doing bad stuff, right? Then all of a sudden we become like these little competitive policemen. Because when we're doing good, we want everybody to see that we're doing good. So we're comp competing the other guy in doing good, right? And then you're, you're competing for spot one and spot two, and this other guy is spot one, and you're spot two. So all you got to do is find him doing something wrong and then go tattle to the right people. And then all of a sudden his scorecard goes down. Do you know what I mean? Or then all of a sudden if people's scorecards are posted, or if their worth as a person is based on how how good or bad their merit is, then if somebody's at the bottom of the list, a sinner, they are less worthy. And if it's apparent that their life is filled with some particular kind of sin, then the way that we approach them is not to help them or to restore them or to bear their burdens or to redeem them. The things that Jesus teaches us to do what we do with those people who are hurting and maybe lower on that scorecard is we push them down lower. Because when we push them down lower, it pushes us up higher, right? It's not a list of do's and don'ts or a scorecard. These things that we're talking about, these, these are works. These are things that you can accomplish in your life without the Spirit of God. So what is it about the Spirit of God that we're after? See, works of the flesh are marked by darkness, yet fruits of the Spirit are marked by light. So how do we transition from this darkness to light? How do we transition from works of the flesh to fruits of the Spirit? And maybe a better question is, something Paul points out is, how do we kill the flesh? Or in his words, how do we crucify the flesh? How do we walk in the Spirit? And part of walking in the Spirit, this new life, this new creation, part of that happening in our lives is this flesh part of us dies on the cross with Jesus. See, Jesus loved us so much he saw us helpless and in need with our scorecards as low as they could be as far as the do and don'ts go. And instead of pushing us down to lift himself up and how holy he was, he came down into this. And he became flesh. And he died on the cross as flesh. So the flesh was crucified. 
So how do we kill the flesh? See, sometimes flesh can look like gross misconduct. That's like, you're drunk, you're crazy, you're lunatic, you're practicing sorcery, your life is just not going well, like you're in an argument with everybody, you're probably going to jail every other weekend, right? This is, the, the flesh, uh, and some people are proud of that, and that's, you know, between them and Jesus. Um, sometimes flesh can look like gross misconduct. And that's really obvious to point out and to see. However, sometimes flesh can look like passive flesh. And the gross misconduct is easy to see. It's easy to point out. It's easy to stop as well. Just stop getting drunk. Just, you know, stop practicing sorcery. Just stop sleeping around. Just stop doing those things. And stopping those things is maybe a little bit easier than annihilating, killifying, killifying, <laughs> killifying, yes, killifying the passive flesh. And the passive flesh is the one that's a lot easier to hide. And the passive flesh is the one that can pass as okay inside the church sometimes. It becomes socially unacceptable in the church to have passive flesh, right? We'll pounce on anybody who has gross misconduct in their life. But somehow we're kind of okay with passive flesh. And we don't confront it, and we don't talk about it, and we don't address it. And I think that the passive flesh is probably the worst kind of flesh, or maybe the worst kind of sin. Because the passive flesh shows up as pride, self-righteousness, or finding moral virtue apart from God. And we can look as maybe people of the passive flesh, and we can look at the people whose lives are filled with gross misconduct and say, those people don't know what they're doing. Those people need Jesus. Maybe what we forget as people of the passive flesh is that our pride and our self-righteousness and our moral, finding moral virtue apart from God is just as ugly as gross misconduct. Yet it becomes socially acceptable inside the church. Like it becomes socially acceptable to be mean to people or to gossip or to create divisions. So what does a crucified flesh look like? If it doesn't look like making a New Year's plan or uh, trying harder, if it doesn't look like making a brand new list of do's and don'ts and keeping a scorecard, if it's not those things, then what is a crucified flesh supposed to consist of? And what it consists of is simply belonging to Jesus. 
just belonging to Jesus and loving Jesus and seeking Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus and walking with him and talking with him and asking him about the little somewhat trivial things of our life like what do you think about this how should i do this what what is your wisdom on this and not only asking but listening too that's what we call walking with god how do we crucify the flesh not by pounding it into the ground with our force and our might you don't fight flesh with flesh got it flesh can't kill flesh The way we fight flesh is not by fighting fire with fire. We do it by belonging to Jesus and walking with him. And that's it. And maybe that's not a satisfactory answer to some people, but that's it. And when we do that, the flesh dies because flesh cannot exist where Jesus is. Anywhere that Jesus is, the flesh gets crucified. So instead of fighting flesh with flesh and just trying harder, it's walking in the opposite direction. Walking away from the flesh and toward Jesus. Walking away from the dark and toward the light. And Jesus is the light. And we get this picture of like a tree. And I don't know, like the idyllic picture of a tree that you think of in your head. But I'm thinking like, you know, some type of green, lush area with just like slightly rolling hills and the grass is a little bit too long and the breeze is just kind of blowing it right there. And there's this tree that's like, kind of like an oak tree, but not really. And its branches are like far reaching out to the side and its trunk is just massive and it is planted down. And if you could just imagine how big this tree is in the middle of this whole area, you could almost see and envision how big in the other direction its root system is, right? So killing the flesh looks like building a deep root system. See, the way that this tree is going to make good fruit is it's got to have light from the sun, you know, it's got to have enough water. But also, its roots have to go down deep enough to soak up the nutrients to give to the fruit. And it's the nutrients that make the fruit taste good. If there is bad soil with lacking nutrients and you try to grow fruit in that soil, the fruit won't taste good because it's not pulling those life-giving nutrients from the soil. And as the tree gets bigger and it grows the capacity for bearing more fruit, its root system has to get deeper and more intricate. And that is a picture of our lives. That as we grow in Jesus, if we want to bear more fruit, 
and tastier fruit. The way that we do that is not by showing off and just being a bigger tree. It's by growing these roots that could just go down so deep and pull out these nutrients that are maybe from depths in areas that people don't even know about. And here's the thing about reaching down deep into the depths of God. We can never plumb the depths of God. We can never reach down as deep as God is deep. So we can keep growing those roots. We can keep pulling up those nutrients because he's infinite and he's massive and he's eternal and his depths are deeper than we can even imagine. So if we get to the end of our flesh-filled rope and we get to the end of ourselves and we go, there's nothing more I can do, there's no harder I can try, there's no better I can be, well, then maybe that's evidence of operating in the flesh because there is a limit to how hard you can try and how better you can be. There is a limit to what we can do. But there is no limit to how deep God goes and how deep our roots can sink into him. We can't plumb his depths. And the thing that we realize is we plumb those depths and we just stand tall and strong, not because we're showing off for people, because our root system goes down deep and we've got that foundation and that support system and it's pulling up nutrients and making our branches and our trunk strong. And we stand there not to impress people, but to use the strength of God to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to express it as faith that finds its manifestation in love. We stand there, and without having to prove anything to anybody, we just know, in Jesus, I am the righteousness of God. And I don't have to strive in the flesh to be better or to be more perfect or to do more or to make people happier. To keep remaking that resolution that I keep re-breaking every year. I don't have to do that. Because in Jesus, I am the righteousness of God. And nothing that anybody says about this tree could affect the righteousness of God. And if you think about it, that only comes, that confidence that's founded in God can only come by walking with God and by walking by faith. It doesn't just happen. It's a, it's a result of faith. 
So there is a type of confidence that is the result not of the flesh and because of my prowess or talents or abilities, but there is a confidence that comes through faith and faith alone and just knowing that in Jesus I am the righteousness of God. When I do that, when I grasp onto that, what I find out is that fruit doesn't come from me going, ah, fruit, right? Like I don't, I don't just flex and then all of a sudden fruit starts popping out. Fruit is born from the inside out. A healthy tree makes healthy fruit because that's what it's designed to do. A healthy Christian will make healthy fruit because that's what they are designed to do. And if the fruit is withered and malnourished, like you gotta look and say like, all right, like how deep are your roots into Jesus? And how, how much are you walking by faith right now? Because fruit doesn't come from the outside in, right? You don't take fruit and tape it onto a tree and then it grows. Fruit starts inside the tree with the nutrients. And then they come out on the tree as like little buds. Okay? And you're like, if you're looking at the tree and if you're an impatient person and you're looking at those little buds that have budded on the tree, you're like, well, that's not fruit. Yeah, I know, not yet. Fruit takes time. Fruit doesn't happen overnight. It starts as a bud and it starts as something that some people might point at and say, that's not fruit. You're right, not yet. But then it's going to develop into something and it's going to have this little tiny fruit on it. People are looking at it, but you can't eat that? Well, no. But if you give it time to mature, you can. But that's not even fruit. It's not even the color or the shape of fruit. It looks like a weird... Triangle. What is it with the bud on the end? And if I tried to eat it right now, it'd be sour. The fullness of Christ manifested in my life doesn't happen overnight. It comes as fruit that is born out of a life of following Him every day. It flows out of the life of obedience. Fruit does. Let me say something about obedience. You can obey in the flesh instead of obeying in the spirit. Here's how you know. If you're obeying God to get things, it's probably in the flesh. You know, we realize as Christians that like a, like a certain walk of obedience with God like delivers a certain amount of blessing on our life. But if we're just after the blessing and we're only obeying to make God happy enough up to the point that he will bless us and then we'll stop obeying, that is a work of the flesh and not of the spirit. 
So what I'll say is don't obey God to get things. Obey God to get God. That's the ultimate price. Walking with him, obeying with him, doing what he says, listening to what he says. And when he says it, like, yield to him and do it. Comes from learning to have a constant conversation with the Spirit. Asking him every day, fill me with that Spirit. Because you filled me yesterday, but today is a new day and I need a fresh filling. And when we become happy and content with God, anything else that gets added onto that is just blessing. And he will bless us. Kind of like Solomon, when he asked for wisdom instead of for riches and power and glory. And because he asked for wisdom, and God was so pleased with that, God gave him wisdom plus riches and powers and glory. Don't try to attach stuff from the outside in, like taping fruit onto a tree. Doesn't work. Try it. It's not going to work. The fruit will not grow. It will not become sweet and nourished and nourishing to others. Do it the right way from the inside out. And isn't that what Jesus is always talking about? Like Christianity, it's about the heart. Right? It's not about not committing adultery, it's that if you've even looked at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. It's not about not killing people, it's that if you're angry at your brother in heart, you already killed him. Right? It's the heart, it's the inside out, it's not the outside in. So then what I want to say is this. Heaven is not a finish line. If heaven is a finish line, I will find out what the minimum requirements are and I will do exactly that no more. Because my real prize, if I'm living that way, like heaven is a finish line, then my real prize is this earth and everything it has to offer. The, the, like the earth and the creation itself were created originally good. But it was because... It was corrupted by sin. So I'm talking about this corrupted earth, not the original righteous creation that glorifies the Father. <clears throat> if heaven is a finish line, then the only prize I will ever gain in this life is what this life, here and now, has to offer. And I will live for here and now. And heaven is a finish line. But heaven is not a finish line. Heaven is the starting block. Heaven's the beginning. Why do I begin growing fruit that is derived, derived from the Spirit? Why do I start growing fruit now that is still like bud form, still not sweet yet? It's still like this little fruit that people point to and laugh at and say, that's not fruit. 
they're fruit inspectors. Don't be a fruit inspector. Don't go around testing everybody else's fruit and say, oh, you're not up to snap. Just worry about your own fruit. If heaven, instead of being a finish line, is a starting block, then this fruit that I start growing now will reach its full maturity in heaven. And the glimpses of Jesus in my life now that are not perfect and are still like covered over with other amounts of flesh, the glimpses of Jesus that I see now will be fully realized in heaven. You see, because when the eternal state begins, or what the Bible often refers to as the age to come, when age to come begins, when eternity begins, when heaven begins, my flesh fully dies. And I am fully belonging to, with, and in relationship with God. And wherever God is, the flesh can't exist. And I'm just living there in an eternal state and growing in fruitfulness and in love and in relationship for all of eternity. If heaven ever sounds boring or not worth it or like this earth is better, it's probably because it's a lie that the enemy tells that says heaven is a finish line. Amen? So let's not treat heaven like a finish line. But like it's the beginning of the greatest adventure that there ever was. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving to us a great and glorious day that you have made. God, we do ask for a filling of your Holy Spirit for today and tomorrow and the next day and on into eternity. God, let us not start a brand new New Year's resolution every day and every week, every month and every year. God, but let us abide in you and let us bear fruit that looks like you and resembles you and is pleasing to you because we've so spent so much time digging down deep and building our root system into you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.